So in anticipation of Valentine's Day tomorrow and of the anniversary of Charles Darwin's birthday, which was on February 12th, I want to share, well, a love story. And it's a love story that changed the world. On January 29th, 1839, in a small English village chapel, a devoutly religious woman in a green silk dress married a man of science. Emma Wedgwood married her first cousin, Charles Darwin. And on that day, little did they realize what the each would mean to each other and what their lives would mean for the relationship between science and religion. So in this ongoing relationship between science and religion, rather than trying to separate them or ignoring each other's existence, I, I think we're still in this conversation about seeing science and religion through the lens of life partners. Because after centuries of navigating this relationship between religion and science, we as a society still fight over the question of evolution and how to interpret within our deepest drives and highest motivations. Charles and Emma, I'll offer, did not merely tolerate each other. They, they didn't just kind of go to their separate corners from their existential belief perspectives. They were deeply committed to one another and to their family. And they sustained and championed one another, even when Charles's discoveries shook the foundations of their faith and their bond and in the implications for the meaning of God. So I want to offer their story in this ongoing evolution of our own in this navigation of how we understand and engage with our world. Now, my inspiration comes from the 2009 movie creation, The True Story of Charles Darwin. And the film dramatizes the family life of Darwin, including his relationship with Emma, his wife, and their grief over their daughter, Annie, who died at age 10, and how their lives mingled with the development of his essential works and the movie is based on the book Darwin, His Daughter, and Human Evolution by Darwin's great-grandson, great-great-grandson, Randall Keynes. And before I go further, I'll offer a spoiler alert. Yes, Darwin does publish The Origin of Species. Yeah, spoilers. There you go. Now, part of bringing in this sermon here in one of these faiths, Unitarian Universalism, that is rather friendly to Darwin as part of uh, our understanding of science and nature and possibilities of revelation from both, uh, is this is also contributing to what's called Evolution Sunday and the Clergy Letter Writing Project. Michael Zimmerman, a biologist, academic, and administrator, first solicited letters from religious leaders in 2005 when a town in Wisconsin had a number of public school board members trying to add creationism to the science curriculum. And the overwhelming support that Zimmerman received inspired him to keep going with this project. It keeps going today, in fact. And the Clergy Letter Writing Project has the support from thousands of religious leaders, along with resources and an extensive library of sermons on this topic. Now, let me go into a little bit about Darwin and evolution, as it were. 
So Darwin had the fortune to collect and study specimens of wildlife from the Galapagos in 1832. Darwin thought that the birds he brought back were all different species. They were so much variety in their form, their beaks, um, that he thought they were all different species. Now, his colleague and also an ornithologist, John Gould, demonstrated how they were, in fact, all finches to a one. Um, it was one kind of bird that had adapted to the niches, niches in the environment. And this discovery that, in fact, these were all the same kind of bird flew in the face, literally, of the profoundly held belief that God had created all things from the beginning of the world and that nothing was going to change, that what God had created at the start was going to continue forever. And yet, and yet here was Darwin with proof of the transmutation of species and the related implication that all things are changing and adapting all the time. So in his time, when religious faith tended to rule over science, here was proof that God's creation was in fact not fixed. This interconnection between religion and science and the impact of Darwin's theories are, are not news to us. Religion and science have been intermingled since the dawn of humanity. But over centuries, the earth and its myriad, of habits, myriad inhabitants have received as much, if not more, scrutiny than scripture to help us human beings comprehend the workings of uh, what some would call God, the spirit, simply all that is in the world of our lives. And science has used, been used, deployed, to prove every lens of faith included by humanity as well. We have countless creation stories. We have reverence for the natural world in the Christian Psalms, for examples. Early Christian mystics found nature as a source of spiritual enlightenment and a path to God. We are deeply intermingled with the world around us from our theological and spiritual and ritual experience. Now, religion and science and evolution led to radically new understandings of humans as animals, that morality itself is something that has evolved and was not bestowed by a divine hand, as well as a deeper and more complex role for spirituality experienced in nature. This was kind of the microcosm of the conflict in Charles and Emma's life, if you will, this encounter and the implications of all that was found in the science and the nature. As after finishing his voyage on the Beagle in 1836, Darwin had already contained kernels of his thoughts and how much those would impact long-held views of God. And around the same time, he made the choice to marry and when he approached his father about his cousin, Emma Wedgwood, the elder Darwin cautioned Charles against speaking of his views with his wife and even cautioned Charles against Emma because the women in Emma's family were known to be particularly religious and devout. 
But in spite of that warning, Charles and Emma began their relationship with a very frank conversation about their respective views, including his skepticism and her faith. And both were Unitarian, if you will, though they lived and moved within the context of the Church of England. Emma saw Charles's openness and genuine uncertainty about nature and God, and he saw her, uh, her intelligence and her imagination as a woman who would be a fabulous match for creating a life together and for allowing him the freedom to pursue his study. So Emma's greatest spiritual challenge in this was actually not about so much this life, but what would happen after death. To the core of her being, Emma had faith in one God who would welcome every believer to heaven after death. Three of their 10 children died over the years at young ages, and Emma found reassurance in the knowledge that her family would be united after death. But then there was this Charles, and in that she had little comfort for him. He kept finding further and further evidence that there was no divine hand, at least not in any proximity to the forces of life. And there was that long illness with their daughter Annie, and her eventual death. And that pushed Charles further away from any God whatsoever. Emma continued to find comfort from the idea that while you're acting conscientiously and sincerely wishing and trying to learn the truth, you cannot be wrong. I'll say that again. While you're acting conscientiously and sincerely wishing and trying to learn the truth, you cannot be wrong. So his methodical doubt let her, gave her room to have faith and a little bit of hope. Now Charles, for his part, was really sensitive to his wife's concerned concerns, and, and she inspired his real, very deliberate approach to the development of his thought. To be sure to ground his ideas through observation and in evidence. And in the biographical movie Creation, Charles talks with his daughter Annie about why he takes so long to publish on the origin of species. I mean, it took decades. And Charles's response to Annie is this. Suppose the world stopped believing that God had any sort of plan for us, that nothing mattered, not love, trust, faith, or honor, only brute survival. And apart from every, anything else, it would break your mother's heart. But Darwin went on to publish on the origin of a species in 1859. At his death, after 43 years of marriage, they affirmed their love for each other. He assured her he was not the least afraid of death, and for her to remember what a good wife you have been to me. 
I think this is one of the most powerful stories of relationship and partnership. And it offers an opportunity for us to think about our, I think, our deep divisions today. One of the first things I learned from them is the importance of power and the power of respect and acceptance and understanding. Emma and Charles were able to remain not simply committed to their family and to each other, but truly devoted because they could see the honesty and integrity each offered simply from themselves and to each other. They didn't avoid talking about belief as Darwin's father had advised. I think that would have been a very difficult path if they had chosen to have that separation between them. They engaged with the challenges in this search for truth and meaning. This is one of those central tenets in Unitarian Universalism. And, and here is Darwin, whose theories changed kind of everything about earth and time and species and the non-benign character of nature, the role of God. All of these were transformed in these moments. Darwin's own crisis Faith was brought about by his observations and by the death of his daughter, Annie. And these are heartbreaking in his own merit, and then more so when combined with how much he wanted to assure Emma of his beliefs as well, and of her beliefs, of really of her beliefs. With regards to evolution, so many voices over the years have spoken about how God is everywhere as the world is moving and is not fixed. And yet we as humans remain deep in our struggles for development, still reconciling with evolution, but also with the nature of truth, as well as how we judge each other based on race, gender, physical ability, and so much more. I think one of the great lessons I learned from here is how, how it is essential in love and committed relationships is to have that desire to grow and to become the best they can be, to become that the other, whatever your relationship is, that the other would be have a chance to become the best that they can be. And Emma was able to do this uh, for him in relation to his work. Um, in the movie, there is this dramatic moment when Charles turns over his draft of On the Origin of Species and gives it to Emma and leaves it to her whether it should be published or whether it should be burned. Dramatic movie moment, should it be burned? Now, I have yet to find an account of that exact moment in any sources, but he did ask her to review his whole manuscript before he published it, including the part that removes God from any part of science. And she did not ask him to remove that argument. In fact, she sat there and helped strengthen his case. She was one of his best editors and advocates and pushed him to do this well. I think something else to be learned is the need to be so very clear about who we are 
and what we value. What is actually not negotiable and what has the possibility for change? What can we live with? What would make a situation okay? There's a caution about the assumptions made when teaching evolution that it must be accompanied by the scientific method and students permitted to have their own freedom of exploration when exploring all of the information. Or that science is no different than any of the dogmas many of us rail against. We must continue to offer that platform and that trust in that process of science itself. And realize that, we, that it can help us to understand the range of perspectives and opinions. Not every opinion has equal merit, but it serves in our relationships with each other to be willing to learn and listen and be curious. And no surprise, that curiosity may not necessarily lead to peace because we will still be deeply in conflict and disagreeing. This isn't a remedy, an easy solution for um, avoiding disagreements and deep divisions over philosophy and religion and science itself. But to be willing to live in conflict. I think some of we've been seeing in local efforts to restrict access to books or so on in censorship in communities across the country is coming from the approach that there is an identity-based, entrenched, all-or-nothing, winner-or-loser kind of frame. And it's so difficult to try to remain curious when encountering such frames, this oppositional relationship that there is no either-or, if you will. Martin Marty of the University of Chicago Divinity School points out that creationist fundamentalism did not simply disappear after an apparent loss at the Scopes Monkey Trial, that creationist fundamentalism simply went underground in 1925. And, for example, the Arkansas School Board decisions in 1980 simply brought the creationists back out into the open. It's far better to know that the conflict is there rather than believing it is not. I think any relationship is better for that understanding. It's a sign of emotional development that we are able to hold contradictory, conflicting views even in our population at the same time without trying to eliminate or resolve one or the other prematurely. The Darwins were able to do this in their relationship. In our society, we need to figure out a path back towards that as well. And in case you're wondering, acting superior to someone who has yet to have this ability in the way of balancing multiple conflicting opinions all at once um, isn't necessarily any better. 
as a society, we're becoming more articulate about the intersection between science and religion and the nature of God in a world of constant change. And, and as I've been researching this, I'm finding it intriguing to note where there are places of change. And one of them is, in fact, in some of our Christian, uh, the evangelical Christian world. Because in a theology, one of those theologies can be very much based on, you know, really making use of this life, uh, making use of this life and this earth, uh, because human beings, you know, if we have the toys, we can use them. We don't have to necessarily care about what happens afterward because we're really concerned about what happens after death. You know, the theology that truly just focuses on what happens after death, um, that focuses more on salvation than anything else, can lead to an earth that is not made fair. But what I find intriguing is how there is a growing environmental movement amongst Christian evangelicals. As it says in Creation Care magazine from 2006, we all need to be reconnected to nature for the renewal of our minds and the future of conservation. There's a group called the Evangelical Environmental Network, and its work is to educate, inspire, and mobilize Christians in their effort for the care of God's creation to be faithful stewards of God's provision, and to advocate for actions and policies that honor God and protect the environment. And their work is entirely grounded in Bible teachings and the responsibility of God's people to tend the garden, as it will, and a desire to be faithful to Jesus Christ and follow him. And as is indicated on their website quite clearly, they don't hold with nature worship or pantheism, which are two elements of what, how a lot of Unitarian Universalists show up. However, they do advocate for renewable energy, preserving public lands as resources for healthy ecosystems, and keeping public lands free from development. And they also advocate teaching children to be good stewards of the earth as well. So simply in that Simply one example there, I find there's a lot of common ground. There are things that we could work on together. So, on that winter day in 1839, I don't think anybody would have guessed the future of Charles and Emma Darwin. They were profoundly engaged with the meaning of life and of their lives and how to how to be faithful and true and dedicated to the search for truth and meaning. How to live in a beloved community on earth and how to care for each other in all ways. We have so much more to learn from evolution and to witness where it may take us. We are still living in the mystery and wonder of this existence as we navigate our conflicts, as we navigate different opinions, as we continue to navigate that relationship between science and nature and all that is. Let us go forth, being open to discovery as Charles was, being open to relationship as Charles and Emma were, that we may go forth and do well with creating our own beloved community 
on this earth. Amen.